Marini's Media. Welcome to the Totally Scottish Football Show in association with Paddy Power. This week, Kilmarnock are dire no more. Yep, that's right, 10 games later and they've finally won a league match under Alex Dyer. Hearts and Hamilton have a switcheroo at the bottom of the table. And as we record this, Celtic are comfortably clear at the top of the table, but there's still more of a title race here than in England. Plus, there's shock in the championship as Shanklin doesn't score, resulting in our growth beating Dundee United. There's all that and the Scottish Cup coming up. I'm Andrew Slavin, coming to you with a delayed pod thanks to the World War II bomb that was found round the corner from the studio. Yet we're still finding them. The good news is I'm joined by the explosive Kieran Canning from AFP. Hi, Kieran. What a start is. Cool. Explosive hello there. And also joining us, he isn't a dud, but it's kind of bad news because JJ has been chained to a desk so he can only answer a phone. But we will have him on anyway because, let's face it, we are his therapy session for Aberdeen. Hello, JJ. Hello. Hello, boys. Does it still sound nice? Yeah, it does actually sound Would quite nice. Would you like us to like, call in uh, a World War II bomb to, near the telegraph offices to, to free you from your desk? Uh, don't do that. <laughs> <laughs> so let's kick it off. Um, Dundee signed a new number seven. Exciting times. This should be illegal. <laughs> Christoph Berra has left Hearts and went to Dundee, and he's wearing the number seven shirt. But do yeah, you, I mean, it's I not on. Also, like the new Aberdeen signings, wearing number eight. He's a right back. That again should be illegal. <laughs> or is it just you know, Christopher Berra feels like this is a fresh start for him. He he wants to be a explosive uh, winger, winger, pacey winger. Maybe it yeah. reminds me a little bit of like when Edgar Davids wore. That when he was player manager of Barnet and he selected the number one jersey. Oh, again. Do you remember that? Does anyone remember that? No, they, it's just not on. Like, Gallus wearing a number 10 is not on. There's too many examples of it. The only one I like, which is to be allowed, is not because it's an Aberdeen thing, but when Zero Alley had number zero, I like that. That was good fun. And Zamorano having one plus eight. That was all right. Nice. I was about to say the Zamorano example. There's a few of those for, yeah, get the. Uh, the plus because the number nine's taken or the number ten's taken. Celtic's use of the sixty-seven and eighty-eight is oh, a disgraceful yeah. marketing ploy. Particularly when they gave it to Wanyama, who clearly had no idea why he'd been given the number sixty-seven, and was like, "Ah, oh, yes." I grew up in Kenya watching uh, videos of the Lisbon Lions. You're listening to the Totally Scottish Football Show in association with Paddy Power. Well, obviously, as this pod was delayed. There's a lot of games on Wednesday night. We're recording that a few hours beforehand, um, but it was a pretty eventful weekend. So we're going to focus a lot of our conversation about that. So let's crack on. After all the McInnes out chat last week, it seems to have kicked the Dons in the right direction as they got their D on hard and stopped Rangers' eight-game home winning streak. Um, but it was the men between the sticks performing well on the day that kept this tie goalless. Um, guys, Rangers had Morelos back and you kind of thought they would get the spark back, but even Steven Gerrard admitted that that seems to be missing still. Yeah, I think with Morelos, obviously he hasn't played a full game for a number of weeks between the winter break and also his suspension, and he looked a bit rusty, but it was the same old story for Rangers in terms of the game since they've, they've come back, that they, they're not playing with the same fluency, uh, they're not creating nearly as much. I mean, even... Jolis had a few decent saves, but I would say across the course of the game, Aberdeen had the better chances. 
And I know you were saying that the, the switch of you know the McInnes out chat after the nil nil at St Mirren, mm-hmm. but going and playing in this this way is, is what Aberdeen do do well. I wasn't overly surprised that they managed to sort of defend well. It's the it's the going forward, but that the, the Aberdeen fans have been frustrated with. And yeah, it's the same old story for Rangers. It's the same as when they came back from Dubai last year. There's theory going around that they overtrain in Dubai, thinking long term into the season that it would they do a sort of mini preseason again, mm-hmm. and that the players are a bit knackered. But whatever it is, as Gerard has said himself, they need to get the spark back quickly because any more drop points now, and realistically, it's slipping out of their hands. Well, yeah, I mean, obviously Jermaine Defoe's now injured, so they they brought in Florian Camberry to be an extra kind of backup. They're missing some other big players. Like Ryan Jack didn't play. James Tavernier is currently injured as well. They're missing some of those big game players. But I'll focus a little bit on Aberdeen. Um, JJ, are you, were you surprised at this result? Obviously, with with Rangers um, fairly dominant at home in in recent weeks. It's not that I was surprised. Like nil nil is a good a good result, especially considering uh, Aberdeen not being able to score from open play, especially. But the, uh, McKenna seems to know how to play against Rangers. He seems to be able to get under them and stop them from playing. And the difference between like Rangers and Celtic, I think, is, especially is that. Celtic aren't quite as uh, how do I explain this like, like Gerrard's got a style of play where they pass the ball around and move it in that way and they can often get slowed down and when they slow down it's far easier to defend against them and if you drop your line deep then you can't utilise Morelos running in behind and you don't give so much room for, for pacey players to run at goal and a uh, few teams have players good enough to create in little tight spaces and Rangers don't really have them either so Aberdeen going man for man all the way through, just keeping things tight, trying to get forward, and they had a lot of good chances as well. They created, so I mean, the point seems fair. Was it? Was it? I mean, the Cosgrove chance stands out for me. That seemed to be the best chance of the game. Is it? That's a big three points missed, really, because that could have been the winner. I was looking at it. Cosgrove's now on his worst scoring run um, in the season. Three games without without a goal. I know there's obviously there was a break in the middle of that, but wow. since he came back, <laughs> that's a big chance missed, man. The, ah, but it's just one chance. That you, I mean, you could say there's other chances that you've missed. Like it's, it's creating them is the important thing. And although a lot of it comes from, I think a lot of it comes from set pieces. And the idea is get the ball forward quickly and then win the second ball and go from there rather than wasting time building up. And I think, uh, I mean, it's it's difficult to go to Ibrox. Like they're they've got better players pretty much around mm-hmm. the team. There's very few of the Aberdeen team who would get in the first eleven of the Rangers Rangers side. It's quite funny. Well, I, I better I better move us on to you know a story that's kind of dominated Scottish football a little bit in in the past few days. Um, and I just have to ask: Have any of you watched or read the Morelos interview with Sky Sports? Um, yeah, I'm just hoping that everything I say isn't then translated by Kieran Canning into <laughs> Spanish, which says nothing about what I've said. Yeah, Kieran, you speak. Are you fluent in Spanish? Uh, yeah, uh, well, conversational. I don't want to say fluent because then someone will you know pick me up and I, have a. And for example, even listening to Morelos, because I lived in Spain for a long time, his Spanish is quite different to Spanish Spanish. Sure. But yeah, I flagged this up on Twitter, actually, as soon as I saw it on Monday, mm-hmm. because someone who was a Spanish speaker, it was incredible. It was, the, the subtitles bore no correlation at all to what he was saying. And it, initially, I even put the tweet out saying, this might be the way it's been cut. Because you know we've worked in the media, you know how sometimes and the way that had been cut, there was quite obvious points where 
they'd cut away and the, and the subtitle was still going. So he yeah. could have said these things, but just not in the way that they they cut it. But as the story goes on, it doesn't seem like that's that's the case. And it wasn't. I don't think it did Morales any favors either, because there was. It wasn't just. I know the controversial thing has been the point about uh, racism and him saying that in the Celtic game he felt subjected to racism. Well, the subtitle said that that is what he had said when he didn't actually make that comment at all. Mm-hmm. But there was other bits that were just randomly thrown in there. There was a bit about talking about the town that he's from in Colombia about how they didn't have any air conditioning, which he never mentions air conditioning <laughs> at any point. Like. Just seems very strange, and yeah, obviously there's been a breakdown somewhere. I would imagine it's probably that. I know there's been a lot of talk about Rangers PR firm in the past uh, few days as well. Uh, I would imagine it's probably they have uh, given Sky the transcript, and Sky have gone without without properly checking it because I can't imagine any translator would work on that and come up with that transcript. Yeah, I mean... Yeah. Sky Sports have distanced themselves from it. It's, it's another weird thing as well. It's really interesting, it'd be really interesting to find out, uh, and nobody knows quite sure, quite for sure yet where that relations come from. But the other weird thing about it is that a lot of the answers, the, all the stuff they made up, I mean, it's, it's a lot of it's fictional. <laughs> it's really funny. A lot of it's sort of like what you'd expect him to say. Same way you get like a post-match interview and yeah, you're saying, yeah, there's three yeah. points and blah, blah, blah. And it's weird that in, the, in this world of misinformation, that's you're sort of drawing conclusions from things that you expect to hear. You know they're going to say, we go again. Mm-hmm, we look for mm-hmm, the three mm-hmm. points. The, the boys really... Uh, I couldn't have scored the goals without the lads doing all the work for me, that sort of stuff. And this seems like the same sort of thing. They're just filling the template as though it could be just someone who's been tasked with translating it has gone, I cannot be fanny doing this. And I just know he's going to say these things, like sort of half doing it. Well, I mean, you go, go and... Uh, I think it's more, to be clear, I think it's more, uh, not sinister, it's the wrong word, but I think it's um, the stuff that makes it really dangerous, maybe, is putting in stuff that implying that Celtic fans were saying racist and offensive stuff to him. When there's nothing that he said in that interview, that's the stuff it's not on. And the, th- the thing is, though, that the, there is an underlying issue here as well that he, he does pick up on the point that he has received racial abuse in Scottish football this season, and, and that's something that we we could kind of say has to change in Scottish football because it shouldn't be happening in this day and age. But, um, yeah, but yeah, it is that it is that no, insinuation no, that, that it's coming from one section of the support. He hasn't said that in the interview. No, he, yeah. he does. He does, he does say he does say that he suffered racism in Scotland. He doesn't. He doesn't pinpoint it. The only example right. he gives of a game is the Aberdeen away game where there was the banner about his mum. Mm-hmm. Um, Your mum is a mattress. Yeah. So that that's yeah. the only specific example he, he gives. But he goes on to he does say that he has um, received what he said was racist abuse or racist comments on and off the field, and I think that's the. Broadening it out, because Scottish football is such a minefield, and this is a perfect example in this story, because people are automatically tend to take one side or the other based yeah. purely on yeah. the colours rather than, well, I'm talking about racism, but different <laughs> type of colours, you know. Um, whereas the the real issue here should be if he feels that he's, he's suffered racism, and obviously there's evidence of that, then that is, and Shay Logan said the same thing this that, week. So it's yeah. not, it's not just because Morelos is such a powder keg. The, the the tension is so focused on him. So there is clearly an issue there that has to be rooted out, and that's the thing that we should really be be focusing on. But because of the way it has been handled, then it makes it appear at least that you know people are trying to to spin the story, and then it makes it very easy for people to take to go down the same 
sort of lines based on on what team they support. I mean, ser- absolutely. Ser- it also means we're not talking about uh, two bad Rangers results in a row. <laughs> well, that's the other. I think that's part of the PR thing. Is there's that, but there's also the the other Morello story that was leaked to the press uh, last week about the the car situation. Yeah, which was insinuating that something pretty serious that someone had been tampering with his brakes, and then the latest part of the story makes it out that that's very much not the case. And that story came out on Sunday. Rangers did the interview on Friday with it planning it to be released on Monday. So there's that element to it as well. Was it distracting from, from that story? The, um, yeah, and, so, and so, another one today as well, which is um, I, I wonder where this has come, come from. Um, it might be a, a radio interview or something Reynolds has done with uh, someone in Colombia, I think, or something like that, uh, saying that he's, he knows that Liverpool are interested in him. And it's, I mean, it's taken from a nothing quote where he says that he'd imagine that he'd have people looking at him. He knows some clubs have had a chat. And Liverpool must know who he is because of the Stephen Gerrard thing. That's all he says. Mm-hmm. There's no indication. But yeah, that's another story. So when you Google Alfredo Morelos, that's the first thing that comes up today is the uh, Liverpool story. And it buries the other thing. It does bury a lot of things that are going wrong at Rangers at the moment. It's, it's not been a great start for them. Um, but let's talk about some transfer things that, that Rangers have been... Uh, Getting up to, um, because one of the biggest news was that Georgie Hadji's son, Iannis, joining Rangers on loan, which piqued the interest. Yeah, I mean, I was surprised when I saw the story at first because I saw him at the uh, under-21 Euros in the summer. Yeah. And he looked like one of the best players in the tournament. He looked incredible, particularly in the the game against England, when it was a very fancied England team that went to that uh, Euros and and didn't win a game. And Romania beat them 4-2, I think. But Hadji was like, yeah, one he scored a couple of goals, I think, and he he really looked like a, a star in the making. But it's interesting that his two previous moves outside of Romania haven't gone that well. He was yeah. in Fiorentina for a very short time, went back to Romania, back to the club, which is very closely aligned to his dad's academy. Mm-hmm. Again, did pretty well there. Signed for uh, Genk off the back of... of his performances at club level, but also a lot of what he did at the under-21 Euros, and it hasn't really worked out from there at all. And as far as I'm aware, the the loan includes an option to buy for about £5 million, which is less than what Genk paid for him last summer. So they're clearly, they're not, it's just that they're just loaning him out, thinking, oh, that'll boost his transfer fee substantially and, and we'll yeah. be able to sell him on at a profit. So something's not quite gone right there. So it'll be interesting to see, just watching him and reading some of the reports about him, I struggle to see maybe how he's going to adapt to Scottish football because I think he would he would have thrived much more when he went to Italian football, for example, or maybe going to Spanish football or something something where the the game is much more technical. Whether he's going to be able to put up with you know being kicked up in the air so routinely, well, I don't know. Well, we actually asked um, Romanian football expert Emmanuel Rosu about Hadji because he's seen quite a lot of them. Um, and he asked him what his strengths and pitfalls are and he, he did tell us um, it depends on how uh, he'll get on with Scotland at an emotional level if he feels the love he'll get past his weaknesses he's not physical he's not a great work rate like you've said Kieran um, but he does have great technical skills but it seems like fairly shrewd business to get someone like Florian Camberry in as well um, someone who knows this division although it looks like he has completely severed ties with Hibs after what he uh, said speaking of speaking of uh, World War 2 bombs he's basically blown up every <laughs> single bridge possible back to Edinburgh <laughs> what on earth is he playing at? It's, it's, well, Stephen Gerrard Stephen Gerrard has defended him saying he's speaking from the heart 
But I mean, he, he, there is no. I mean, Hibs fans were absolutely raging um, with what he said because he says it is a dream um, to be at Rangers and oh, the, the first the game, game. The first game he played at Ibrox, he said it was the best atmosphere he had ever played in. I, well, I hope he enjoys his five games he manages this season. That's, that's what I was going to say. It's, I, I struggled to see unless he is absolutely incredible in the few appearances he's going to get because he came on at the weekend. But that's because obviously Defoe is out at the moment. That's why Rangers went and got a striker because Defoe is going to be out for mm-hmm. for a few weeks. Mm-hmm. But once Defoe's back, I really struggle to see how he gets any game time at all. And therefore, it's highly unlikely, I think, that Rangers are going to sign him on a permanent basis. Yeah. So, yeah, he's really not done himself any favours there. JJ, so obviously we're just off the back of Rangers-Aberdeen. What about some of the transfer business um, from, from the Dons? What do you think? Uh, well, a lot of a busier window than I think many Aberdeen fans thought there would be. Brought in, um, well, Dylan McGee came in for Sunderland, obviously, which is quite a big transfer, a bit of wages there. Um, Matty Kennedy paid some money, which is shocking for Aberdeen, paying money for a player. Uh, meant to have bought his contract out to Johnston. That's about 90,000, apparently, that they paid for Matty Kennedy, who has already looked like a real player. Mm-hmm. He, he brings something extra, a little bit of spike in the in the final third. And um, the other signing is uh, Ronald Hernandez, who yeah, no one in the world one. had ever heard of before he moved from a team in Norway. So he's a, a Venezuelan right-back, right-wing back, who um, it, it, this might be a link with um, Atlanta United, so that part of their scouting database, although apparently Aberdeen have looked at him for a while. And uh, yeah, he's taken the number eight shirt, which, as I said, is illegal for a right-back. But um, he... He's meant to be quite a tidy player. He's played in the uh, under-19s or under-20s World Cup, I think, under-17s, won the World Cups. I can't remember what it is. He's under-17s or under-20s, one of those. those. Uh, He's played against Lionel Messi. He's got uh, 15 caps, I think, for his country as well. But the other thing is that apparently, uh, well, the source for this is um, Richard Gordon, the uh, BBC presenter, the legend. (laughs) He... He reckons they spent over seven hundred and fifty grand on signing this player. Really, it was on a four and a half year deal. Yeah, I mean that's that the highest wages. You mean over seven hundred fifty grand or seven hundred fifty? I don't know. Transfer I think the transfer fee. the transfer fee apparently is something over seven hundred fifty thousand. I mean, you consider like Aberdeen's all time record is Paul Bernard. Now I need to like, like how much so was that? that? It was a million? Uh, uh, million? One million <laughs> in like nineteen ninety. Eight, I think, 97, 99, one of those. That's the all-time record. So this boy, obviously the, the plan, and he says that he wants to to move up in European football so he can get a move to a bigger league. That's what he wants to do. Which is and uh, that's, the kind of, that's the kind of player that I would need to sign. A guy who wants to use him as a stepping stone, gets three, four years out of them, two, three years, and then move on for a fee. That's just, perfect. Just, just firstly, are you so popular that your phone is constantly buzzing? Is someone trying to get hold of you? Is your, is your boss trying to get you back to work? Oh, is it coming through in that? <laughs> yeah. So uh, just randomly people have been texting but, me right but, at the minute. Yeah. But anyway, is this this seems to be the first kind of statement and, and feeling that the, the partnership with Atlanta is starting to play a big part in Aberdeen's transfer scouting. Um, it, might, it might be that, but also, I mean, he would probably come up in Atlanta's network, but also, I mean, I think Norway would be the kind of league that Aberdeen probably scout because it's the kind of uh, just, league just up where... The road. <laughs> <laughs> exactly um, but it's kind of one where Scotland would be a natural step up from Norway so that could be part of it as well but he's obviously been well, well scouted they must really think highly of him if they're willing to pay that much money yeah well JJ it's been a pleasure to have you on the show as most weeks um, but I think you're going back to work aren't you yes I'm going back to work yes oh well have a good day have a good one Tara. <laughs> 
Everyone remembers that time you've had that peach of an accumulator looking good only for... Oh, and the keepers let it slip through his legs in the 94th minute. Or the right back has to pull on the gloves and face a penalty. Or Man United have again conceded a late equaliser. But with Paddy Power's Acca Cracker, you get a free bet if one leg of your fourfold plus Acca lets you down on all football matches and all markets. Paddy Power. Max free bet £10. Minimum odds of 1 to 5 on each leg. Online exclusive exclude shop bets. T's and C's apply. 18 plus. BeCumbleAware.org. On Spotify, smart speaker and podcast platforms everywhere, this is the Totally Scottish Football Show from Muddy Knees Media. To the rest of the league then, where Alex Dyer secured his first league victory as Kilmarnock manager at the weekend as the East Ayrshire club beat Ross County 3-1. It was their wayside who took the lead through a wonder volley from Ian Vigers. Finley's header drops away of Vigers! Terrific strike from Ian Vigers! But a three-minute Eamon Brophy brace and a late Kabamba goal turned the result in Kelly's favour. Burke with a free kick. And it's Nicky Kabamba with number three for Kilmarnock. Kieran, how significant is this result? Not only is it's a win, but it's a win from behind as well. Yeah, it was massive for Kilmarnock to end that losing run. I said to you last week, I didn't envisage them being dragged into the relegation battle, but for a new manager to be on such a, a long run of defeats is pretty unusual. And the fact that he got the job having lost his three games mm-hmm. in interim charges is unusual enough. So, uh, and the fact, I mean, losing to Celtic, you would say fair enough when they came back, but losing to St. Johnson wasn't great. And going behind here, you could you could see, it was quite interesting just watching the reaction of the players, like both when they went behind, the, the heads went down, they seemed to really sort of lacking that confidence and then the celebrations from the goals in the second half kind of showed how big a, a win it was for them just to get that sort of monkey off the back. And I think it was really important for them as well that I know one of them was a penalty, but the fact that Brophy scored two goals yeah. because he's been really struggling for, for goals this season. That's been one of the big changes from from last season to this. Uh, and now with him coming back into form and Cabamba started really well, mm-hmm. scored against Celtic as well, scored here, very nice header. So they at least now have a bit of a goal threat that the problem throughout the course of the season, both under Alessio and, and Dyer, has been... They're still quite defensively solid, but just couldn't score any goals. They're very reliant on Chris Burke to, to create anything. So at least if they've got those two playing well, then you know they should... Again, I think it, because of that bad run, it may be difficult for them to, to get back into the top six, but you know they'll certainly be safe from relegation. Yeah, three goals in four games for Kabamba. He's kind of surprised me, actually, because I saw a lot of him in England's fifth tier, and I didn't think he would be... <sighs> I didn't think he would have as good a start, but I think he's proven that his power and strength in Scottish football can bring problems to a lot of Scottish teams. And I think it has helped Eamon Brophy um, up his game a little bit. So who knows if Kabamba could continue this sort of form, but it seems to be pretty promising for Kilmarnock. Um, Up next for Kilmarnock is is Hearts, um, and that's when we'll see a lot more of what Kelly and Hearts are, are made of and how they progress, both teams who have kind of ground out better results in recent weeks. Just just a quick one on, on Ross County, because it's another defeat for them. They're on a really bad run. They're now only four points above the, well, both uh, Hamilton at the bottom and Hearts in the, the mm-hmm. relegation playoffs, so they're really being, being pulled back into it after a, a good start to the season. What do you think needs to, what are they doing not as well as they should be doing, other than, obviously... Yeah, stopping I th- goals. Uh, I think they, they, they clearly concede too many goals. I think they've conceded the most in the in the league. So 
that's a problem and they're still creating chances like the the game at Celtic Park for example they had you know three or four great chances in the, in the first half but they they're not got a, a prolific goal scorer so it, when you've got two major probably one <laughs> you know don't have a a real goal scorer to, to make the most of the chances that they're creating and clearly leaking too many although the the goalkeeper they got in from from Chelsea uh Baxter I think his name is um he made one incredible save at the weekend and he's actually like showed up pretty well in the games that he's played so far so uh the fact the fact that he's doing so well um yeah Nathan Baxter um he, yeah he's doing so well and they're still conceding so many goals doesn't uh, doesn't bode well he was born in 1998 he's 21 oh my goodness I, I'm starting to feel old man I'm starting to feel really really old so Hearts left McDermott Park with a point after a sumptuous Sean Clare strike in stoppage time and that ended what was a six-goal thriller against St Johnston. Hearts are now no longer rock bottom as their goal difference is superior to Hamilton. So what happened to Hearts in the second half really? Because that first half they looked pretty comfortable um, but they were coughing up a lot of chances. In the words of Daniel Stendhal, I don't know, second half are defending <laughs> so bad. <laughs> It was hilarious. The way, the way he said it as yeah. well, you know, he was absolutely... It was just like, I have no idea what I've just seen. <laughs> I think defending was the major issue, but we have to point out the, the highlight of this game was obviously uh, Utrecht Piezo's falling over after having tried to control the ball with about six touches. Yeah. He eventually just trods on it and falls flat in his face they, in the yeah, mud. They, they picked this up on sports scene as well on Sunday night, and it, yeah, it was... It was laughable. It's funny though because I mean I love Bigotry. He's a credit to the league. He's just he's good value, isn't he? And the, the disappointing thing for Hearts would be I know the Clare goal was a great strike, gets them at least the point, so it builds the momentum a little bit from you know a waypoint at Ross County beating Rangers at home, waypoint at St Johnston, as you say, gets them off the bottom, so they're making at least some progress. Yeah, but it was really disappointing based on what, how well they played against Rangers, to go back to, this was like hearts of a few weeks ago. I mean, St Johnston, who are not a team known for scoring a lot of goals, could easily have scored six or seven goals in this yeah. game. I mean, it was shambolic. And some of the things we've pointed out that they're still having teasing issues with um, in terms of the way Stendhal wants to play because they, they're playing so high, but they haven't really got the... They haven't really got to grips with the idea of, you know, if you... You have to press as a team. If you don't press as a team, then there's just gaps everywhere for teams to play through. And also, their line yet yeah, isn't. They're not playing like a proper flat offside line, so they're still sort of zigzagged all over the place. I mean, and and Scottish football does struggle to have the most creative players. So mm-hmm. if you make it really easy for them to just play the ball down the channels or over the top, and people are in, you know, it, it's it's just it's far far too easy. St Johnston probably should have won the game on the balance of the chances in the second half and there has been an improvement from them in the essence that it's only two defeats in their last six games um, but there has made a single clean sheet in that run they are starting to make more chances they have bolstered the defence but losing the likes of you know Matty Kennedy uh, pretty shortly is, is going to be difficult for them in this run-in to the end of the season do you think they will be safe in that run-in? Yeah, I think we've got six-point cushion now. It's, I mean, it's easy to forget like how uh, terrible a start they did have to the season. We were yeah. really concerned for them. But the fact they've now got that, that cushion, and as I say, the teams behind them, I mean, we keep saying about Hearts, uh, we think they'll get themselves out yeah. of it. And yeah, you think they, they probably should, but that that performance against Johnson does, you know, again, give me doubts about whether they will pull away. But 
behind St. Johnson, you've still got Ross County, St. Mirren, Hamilton. So I think there's enough teams below them who aren't even as good as they are that will keep them safe. I think Liam Boyce seems to be a really shrewd signing, a really smart signing from Hearts. Two goals in two games and got a mention on the Totally Football League show as well for being a massive loss to Burton, which he is. Um, and we're starting to see why. Um, another big story um, coming out of Hearts is the foundation of Hearts expects to take over ownership of the Scottish Premiership Club by around the end of April, they say, after confirming it has repaid the £2.5 million loan owed to Anne Budge. The fans group will take control when Budge hands over her 75.1% stake. But Budge will stay on as chairwoman, won't she, until I think um, 2021? Yeah, it's basically the end of next season. Um, she won't budge. <laughs> uh, I mean, she might have to if they're in the championship by that point. But uh, I, I, I still don't think it will come to that. There's still uh, enough games, and as I say, they've, they've picked up five points in the last three games. But it's amazing. I mean, just looking through the, um, when I was looking into Livingston's success and how Livingston have got the second um, lowest wage bill. I mean, Hearts by wage bill terms, and that tends to be what you know decides yeah. these leagues should be uh, third or fourth. It's it's an awkward one because the, the thing I was looking at was per player, so average wage per player. So theirs was lower than Aberdeen, mm-hmm. but Aberdeen had fewer players, so I think overall yeah. the uh, the wage bill at Hearts would be higher. But it's yeah to be where they are and to be on this, this stage where they have to start a sort of another wave of bringing in players and trying to clear out uh, other ones it's been a it's been a torrid season for them and it'll be interesting to see how how things do change once Budge goes because she did a huge amount for the club when she came in at first and they were in administration put the structure in there they mm-hmm. flew through mm-hmm. the championship came back into the premiership strong but she's also been the one criticised for a lot of what's gone wrong with the past year being too loyal to Craig Levine keeping him around the club despite Eventually, uh, relieving all of the duties of, of being manager, being too loyal to other people, um, at the club like as well. Yeah. So, uh, it'll be interesting to see when the when the foundation of Hearts do properly take charge. Is it someone from within their group that they put into that position, or do they go out and look for you know someone of as Gary Neville's always saying the best of class, you know, like someone who has ex- good experience at running a football club successfully? Because mm-hmm. I think that's that's really what they need. Still to come, we are talking Levy's Lift, Celtic Psychology, and we speak with BSC Glasgow's head coach ahead of the Scottish Cup. Yep, it's back. This is the Totally Scottish Football Show with Andrew Slaven and JJ Bull. On Sunday, Celtic bested Hamilton 4-1 and moved seven points clear of Rangers. Um, But as we were recording this, um, both sides have just been charged with failing to act in an orderly fashion with that being the, the players surrounding referee Nick Walsh after the incident involving Lee Griffiths um, stamping on Sam Woods. Sam Woods so I mean what's the impact of that? They could be fined Yeah it says if I'm guilty each, fi- each club face a fine ranging from £2,500 to £20,000 which Depending if they go, if both clubs get the same fine, it's obviously going to hit Hamilton an awful lot harder than it's going to hit Celtic. Sure. So Lee Griffiths has been found not guilty of stamping. What are your thoughts? I think if the referee had sent him off, there wouldn't have been that many complaints about it. I mean, he clearly does stamp on him, but it's it's the intention of it because he kind of seems as if he's his foot's trapped in. But then it's like, how hard did he try to get his foot out of the way? 
Yeah, exactly. So could he have got out of that position without standing on the player? That's why I'm saying that it's one of those, if the referee had sent him off and Celtic appealed it, I don't think the appeal would have been successful. But because the referee's taking the decision on the field, I think it's it, hard for it, them to then retrospectively ban him for it. It boils down to the way the rule is written and the fact that has excessive force been used and that element of brutality. It doesn't look like brutality uh, is involved, but I do think he's lucky. He, he he is lucky because, like you said, if he's got a red card, nobody would really have complained about it other than Celtic. And I think they, they would still have a case, but it's just unlu- it, is, it is really lucky. I think if you're Hamilton, you'd feel doubly aggrieved in the fact that Griffiths gets away with, with that one and then he's involved in this sort of game-changing moment where he's pulled down and uh, and Hamilton get a player sent off, which, again, was one of those... That it, it was very soft in terms of he just has a kind of tug on the shoulder. Yep. According to the rules, it was probably red. My only doubt about it is it feels as to be watching it as if the ball was maybe going through to the goalkeeper anyway, in which case it wasn't denying a goal-scoring opportunity and, and could be a yellow. It was almost like a triple whammy that they... Griffiths doesn't get sent off. He's then involved in that instant. Hamilton get a player sent off, and Edward scores directly from the free kick. Yeah, uh, which completely changed the complexion of the game. I, I think it will probably was a red card for Jamie Hamilton. It was still last man. You can't tell whether or not Lee could have got to it or not. I think with it being last man, it was probably the right decision. But I take your point. Lee Griffiths might not have been on the pitch, and that instant might not have happened. Um, how do you feel about Neil Lennon's little jump celebration? After the third Celtic goal, he kind of ran onto the pitch. Uh, Jamie Holland um, asked me on Twitter, despite all of this, asking, why are Celtic playing so badly right now? Which seems an odd question when you look at the the, the scoreline. But actually, Celtic were really poor in that first half, and Hamilton were very good. It seems at the moment that Celtic are playing sort of one good half in every game. So the St. Johnson game last midweek, they were brilliant for the first half, and as quite often can happen, 3-0 at half-time, do nothing in in the second half, whereas this one it seems to take them a half to kind of wake up. And mm-hmm. it, although it's like it was about eighteen minutes to go when Julian scored for the the second goal, you felt in the second half with the extra man, the chances they're creating, it, it was going to come eventually. But as I say, they could have found themselves in a very different situation had had Griffiths been sent off, uh, and Hamilton are one 0 up against. I know Griffith, they know the Griffiths incident happened before uh, Hamilton scored but you know if Hamilton are, are playing against 10 men for 80 minutes rather yeah. than being a man down it could have been a very a very different situation I think the Lennon celebration it does show how important it was for Celtic to capitalize on on Rangers dropping points the day before to to take it to a seven point lead obviously Rangers still have a, a game in hand so that could come back down to to four but as much as things have gone in Celtic's favor since the since the winter break, I think Lennon's reaction does show that the pressure is still there, that they have mm-hmm. to make sure that... And, and they have done so far that Celtic had a, a huge run of um, away games once they came back, and it seemed after that Celtic-Rangers game on December 29th that things were turning in Rangers' favour because they'd won that game and then had the easier fixtures on paper. It hasn't worked out like that. And yeah, Celtic just know that they have to be relentless because they've still got quite a lot of tough games coming up. Well, yeah, Neil Lennon even accepts that he sees it as a four-point gap because Rangers still have that game in hand. As for Hamilton, Brian Rice was sat in the stands after receiving a 10-match ban for admitting to breaching Scottish FA gambling rules. 
Only five of them will be served immediately, with the rest suspended for good behaviour until summer of 2021. To avoid a further five-game ban, he must continue to attend regularly at recovery meetings, must not breach the rules again, and on the last day of each month, Hamilton must submit a certificate to say that, as far as the club is aware, he has not gambled since 17th of October 2019. And we have to wish Brian all the best of luck in his recovery from his addiction as well um, because it ain't great uh, what, um, possibly they're just following the rules but all of what you said there seems far more sensible and constructive to me than the 10 game ban or 5 game ban five, yeah. why not just say that that's you know, the punishment in inverted commas that's, that's the solution to this issue rather than also banning him I don't, I don't see the, the, the banning him does any good to be honest and also I have to just just finish on how I think it's been excellent how Hamilton have actually handled the situation and wrapping around Brian Rice um, and making this more of a a negative and trying to put a positive and make things better for, for and, everyone and involved also to him I think you have to say that he's shown um, remarkable bravery to, Absolutely. to I mean it was him that reported he sort of self-reported himself to the mm-hmm. SFA which is another reason why I feel like a ban is, is unnecessary mm-hmm. Um and so to come out and speak out, I think, is is very important. So let's move on now to Livingston 1, Motherwell nil. So Livingston, they've won four in a row and five consecutively at home. The latest one, a 1-0 victory over Motherwell. Aaron Taylor Sinclair's header, the only goal of the match. But had it not been for Motherwell goalie Mark Gillespie, the scoreline could have been much bigger. Livingston are now just seven points behind Motherwell, who are third. I mean, this was a, this was a remarkable and, and kind of surprising result. Yeah, I mean, Gary Holt said that it was the best performance since since he'd been in charge. When you and when you think of the fact that over that time they've beaten Celtic, they've beaten Rangers, um, their home record is phenomenal this season. They've only lost twice um, to Aberdeen and Rangers, conceded five goals, and four of them were in those defeats. So if that's like one goal and, and the whole rest of the season, um, six clean sheets at uh, Amundsville in a row. And they keep going from strength to strength. I mean, it's the reason that I was talking about wage bills earlier on was that I was looking into this, and they've got the second lowest wage bill in the league. Remarkable. And yeah, and we thought they had an incredible season last season, and, and they did. You know, but for a team that had come off back to back promotions, but to go even one better and now look like I mean, there's still a bit of a gap to Motherwell and, and chasing them down might be difficult, but they're certainly very very well placed to make sure they they're in the top six. I mean. They've not conceded in 540 minutes now at the Tony Macaroni. You must ask, how do you score pasta then? Way. Thank you. Thank you very much. But Kieran, how do you score pasta then? At the spaghetti had? Yes. It, I mean, this an incredible run. I think it obviously does help that they have the, the, the plastic pitch and they're very used to, to playing on it. I heard Marvin Bartley talk on the radio earlier this season because... He was being very honest. A lot of clubs or players tried to say, oh, no, it's no advantage. Everyone is used to now playing on 4G, whatever. And he was like, no, it's, it's a massive advantage. We train on it. We know the, how, the way the ball will bounce in certain situations. If it's playing dry, if it's playing wet, um, it helps them. And Because he, he was saying that he, he had problems playing on plastic pitches earlier in his career. But now that he's doing it all the time, his body's adjusted to it, so they, they get you know much fewer you know, aches and pains from playing on it that maybe other teams that come and play on it do. So, so yeah, that is a, a big advantage to them. But given their resources, um, it's still remarkable what they're doing. 
yeah, I mean, the best home defensive record in the division. Um, how worrying is this for Motherwell? Um, one shot in this game, and you have to ask, Stephen Robinson was fairly honest um, in his assessment um, just by saying they were outfought and they were miles away. This isn't a side that we saw in the first half of the season, so I don't know what's really changed. Yeah, I mean, obviously they've lost um, James Scott to, to Hull, which is you know a great piece of business for the for the club, and that's type of thing that the mother will becoming very good at in terms of blooding their own youngsters and then and then selling them on for for a significant fee um so missed him obviously but um yeah i just think it's a bit of regression to the mean i don't think we could be too hard on mother because they're another team that by being third in the league are, are overperforming in terms of their their resources and and what they spend on players and uh stephen robinson's done a, a remarkable job again this season so they are going to, especially because they have such a, a young team as well. They are going to have games like this. You know, the, the the frustrating thing of playing with young players a lot of the time is how inconsistent they can be. Um, so there, there will be ups and downs, and I, I still think maybe Aberdeen will come on strong at the end of the season. But I would still fancy Muddle to to finish third, which would be um, an incredible season. Well, let's finish with Hibs two, St Mirren two. All goals being scored in the first half as St Mirren took a two-goal lead only for Scott Allen and Christian Doidge to bring it back for Hibs. Off the pitch, Hibs had a busy deadline day bringing in Paul McGinn from St Mirren, Mark McNulty from Reading and Greg Doherty from Rangers, both on loan. Is this wise business from Easter Road? Um, They all came on as subs in the second half as well. Yeah, again, it's another team who uh, changed manager few months before the window so he would have had an idea of um, how he wants to change things uh, obviously getting McNulty back he was very important for them um, last season so it's a player that they, they know well it be very interested to see how uh, Greg Doherty gets on mm. because he did very well when he went out on, on loan um, in England and obviously just you know, the the competition for places at, at Rangers meant that he, he didn't get a look in at the, the first half of the season. But Gerard has spoken very warmly about him every time that he'd been asked. So it'll be interesting to see him. It's weird sometimes the players go on loan from, from bigger clubs with decent reputations. Sometimes it just doesn't work. I mean, Hibs took um, Glenn Middleton alone at the start of the season and, and people thought that was going to be a very good sign. And yeah. He scored in the Europa League last season and he's done basically nothing for them. So be interested to see obviously Camperi's gone as, as we've spoken about but he would actually fallen down the pecking order a bit at Hibs and in that way it was a bit, it was a bit of a strange move because you you know a, a player that's not not an automatic starter for, for Hibs going to Rangers um, but the way that, that Dodge has been scoring freely of late you know they might not they might not miss him and he actually scored a good goal for once yeah so it wasn't just you know ricocheted off his <laughs> <laughs> knee or his backside or deflected yeah nine goals this season for 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 Hibs and and this was the only one that was decent <laughs> his uh a few of his goals in the the hat trick he scored against uh, Dundee United in the cup mm. were, were decent as well um but yeah he's he's certainly a a man in form Hibs are still a bit frustrating i think in terms of their inconsistency and again like they they seem to have good spells and games but don't put 90 minutes together here they could easily have been you know, a couple goals down at half time even though they scored too late in the first half but then were much better team in the second half but similar to uh, they played Hamilton a couple of weeks ago and you know Hamilton were a much better team for the first half and 1-0 up and Hibs came back in the, in the second half so yeah there's still a lot of things for, for Jack Ross to, to work out there again their target will be top six between now and the, and the end of the season and then rebuild again for the summer and, and look to, to challenge for third next season I think St Mirren received some bad news when um, 
you know, experience in defence. Kurt Broadfoot um, went back to Kilmarnock in the transfer window, and they were not best pleased with how it actually came about. Because what happened, Kieran? People being not best pleased with uh, with Kurt Broadfoot paying for his own <laughs> transfer fee to go from St Mirren back to Kilmarnock. He loves the killy pie too much. <laughs> I, I was going to say that when we were talking about Kilmarnock earlier, that you know the talisman is back. That was the big That's difference it. for them. Yeah. One final match from the weekend to mention before we go is our Broth beating Dundee United in the Championship. Given the Tangerines have effectively won the Championship, Kieran, is there much that can be read into this result? Uh, Dick Campbell is a genius. <laughs> you love Dick Campbell. I do love Dick Campbell. Yeah. <laughs> uh, well, the interesting is that our both could come up as uh, it's amazing, yeah, as unlikely as is. They're they're fifth at the moment, but the level in points with Dunfermline, so the fourth is a as a playoff place. They would then have to go through if they finished fourth, they'd have to go through three rounds of playoffs. So it's still unlikely, but um, yeah, they're doing incredibly well. Again, they they must be probably along with Aloha, the team with the lowest budget in that league, and you know just come up last season. So yeah, props to Dick. Props to Dick. Nothing fishy about that. That's the weekend dealt with. Up next, the future. It's time now to get the odds with Lee Price from Paddy Power. Lee, Livingston are in incredible form right now. What are the chances of Gary Holt's side pulling off something unexpected and finish third? Yes, they definitely are. And the win over Mudwell will definitely help their cause, but... I might be about to temper your expectations slightly. You can actually bet on who will finish third in the Scottish Premiership with our market, which is called Betting Without the Old Firm. Top of that is Motherwell, who are 8-11 to 11 to finish third, ahead of Aberdeen at 11-10, to 10, and then Livingston at 25-1. to 1. What that does mean, though, of course, is that our traders think they'll finish fifth this season, which is still pretty decent. Kilmarnock have finally won a league match as well under Alex Dyer, so we are going to put all of our eggs in their basket to finish in the top six. Or am, am I just mental? <laughs> yes, you are mad. That's it, the end, nothing else to say. What's that? Oh, we pay for the chance to read out our odds. Fair enough. I'd better say some numbers then, hadn't I? Paddy Power make it 9-2 to two that Kilmarnock finish in the top six this season. And one to six, they do not. One to six meaning, of course, that you have to bet six pound in order to win one. Yep. Finally, what about a giant killing in the cup at the weekend? BSC Glasgow to beat Hibs, perhaps? Mm, not going to lie to you, I had to Google BSC Glasgow and promptly found myself down an internet wormhole. A great story, though, but this would be an even more incredible chapter. It's 22 to 1 that they beat Hibs, and that would, of course, be the shock of the round. Hibs, for what it's worth, are 1 to 14 to win this game, although, in truth, it's no win for them. Nobody likes crushing fairy tales, do they? The draw is 17 to 2. Yes, as we've just mentioned, it's the fifth round of the Scottish Cup. Loads of matches going on, but we are going to focus on the mighty BSC Glasgow taking on Hibs this Sunday. And with us to tell us all about the underdogs, it's their coach, Stephen Swift. Stephen, you're in great form at the moment, only losing twice in the league all season, scoring 53 goals, conceding 14 in the process, making BSC the second best defence in the Lowland League. You really need to show that sort of form against Hibs on Sunday, am I right? Yeah, well, we're, um, we're under no illusions that the, the Lowland League is totally different from going and playing in a, a Premier League side. So hopefully we can take our defensive form into it, but you're playing against better players who are quicker, faster, fitter. 
you need to be on the ball. So hopefully the boys can take a bit of confidence with a league form in. But like I say, it's going to be so tough. And how's your preparation been for this game? Um, and will you be watching them at Rangers tonight? Yeah, I'm actually I'm actually going to the game tonight. So um, we, we'd seen them against Dundee United, um, and obviously we'll, we'll have a look at them tonight. But um, you, you, right away, you can see the quality they've got. The front four uh, players that they've got at their disposal was unbelievable quality. Um, so um, I don't know if it will do much good going to see them tonight because we already know a lot about them. But um, we'll go anyway and see how we go. Do you, do you think this game uh, in midweek will have an effect on the game at the weekend? You know, do you think they'll change their squad a little bit, or are you, like you said, under no illusions? It's no matter what side they play, it's going to be a hard ask for your players. Yeah, I, th- I think if you see the strength and depth that Hibs have got, they obviously are going to put a lot of effort into the game tonight. But when you look at the the, the squad they've got, as I say, they, they could they could really replace that quality like for like, which is which is a testament to the, to the kind of pull they've got. So what, what kind of confidence can you take going into this game then? What's your, what's your message to the players? Enjoy the occasion or um, you'll measure yourself up to Premiership quality? Well, I think that's the, that's a big challenge for the boys and, and the big challenge for me is, of course, we've got to give Hibs the, the respect that they're due um, and um, we, we need to realise that we're playing against a top quality side and, and with that, you need to set up um, hard to beat and be compact, of course, but I would like to think that we can be at home and, and still um, produce a bit of our identity that, we, that we've produced week in, week out in the Lowland League. Hopefully we can do that and, and, and try and have a go at times when it's on, but um, we can't be as expansive as we normally are in our, in our, not in our current league. Do you, do you have any players that, that have experience at, at some top-level football in Scotland? Yeah, I mean we've got we've got a great balance. I feel we've got guys um, like Ross McMillan, uh, Martin Graham, and uh, Ross Smith, and uh, Declan Hughes who have have got senior experience. Um, but on top of that, we've got younger players who've maybe come out of pro youth setups like Thomas Office of Mum and Thomas Collins for Queens Park. And um, these guys obviously want to make um, a statement for themselves. So we've got a bit of youth. We'll get a bit of experience, um, and and we're kind of we'll put that all together in the day because you're going to need both. You're going to need legs to get close to them, but you're also going to need the old heads to kind of keep keep um, the boys on their toes. It's been a good few years for for teams out with the the pyramid system getting quite far in the cup, and and just to be a bit more focused on yourselves. How's the how's the feeling be, being around the club? You know, the players, the staff, because it's it's great exposure for the club that's fairly fairly young. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's the club have been kind of waiting on this. Like you say, we are a young club. It's only six years old, um, and we've, we've been looking to get a Scottish Cup run since I've been in charge. They, they hadn't been by the first round, so the first year we, we got to Bucky in the second round, and then last year we got to fourth from the third, beat East Fife, and get to the fourth round against East Kilbride was was already an achievement, but. We knew with the draw we had a chance to go one step further in the last 16. Is is just kind of put us on the map, like you say, and um, the club are the club are in cloud nine at the minute. Mm-hmm. And um, we'll just we'll just go and enjoy the day. Um, hopefully things go well. We we'll get a good account of ourselves, and we we'll always have it in the back of our mind. I think it's important to have that belief, and you never know attitude that um, if we give our best shot, maybe Hibs aren't on the ball that we might that we might cause the biggest upset in Scottish Cup history. Stephen Swift, BSC Glasgow manager. 
Kickoff times in the fifth round this weekend will be delayed by one minute to encourage people to take a minute to engage in conversation around mental health as part of the Heads Up campaign. Can you see, Kieran, any of the following upsets coming your way? Falkirk beat Hearts? Yes. Ayr defeating St Johnston? Yes. Inverness Cali Thistle beating Livingston? No. <laughs> um, and what about Clyde beating Celtic? It's happened before. It has. It has. Um, what's Unfo- this? Unfortunately, I don't think Douay is going to be starting for Celtic this weekend. Douay. That was that was who played centre half. The Chinese uh, centre half. Roy, Roy Keane's debut and Douay at centre half. Roy Keane's debut and he lost to Clyde. Indeed. I'm sure that sticks in the memory for him. Um, so, what's the standout fixture for you in that that list? I think the the two I've mentioned, the Falkirk Hearts and the Air St. Johnson, are the ones where I can see uh, potential upsets as much uh, both Falkirk and Air are having decent seasons in their respective leagues mm-hmm. and we've spoken about the the problems that St Johnson and, and Harps have had uh, and obviously both playing away from home the the romantic fixture is probably BSC Glasgow against Hibs yeah. uh, obviously it's a uh, I mean it was, would be the biggest game I imagine in the BSC in the Glasgow's history, history. And, yeah, yeah. but and yeah if they did do it it would be an incredible uh, upset you would think that the difference in terms of the, the number of tiers between the two teams um, would mean that, that Hibs would avoid a, a shock there but you, you never know uh, Clyde and Celtic again if Clyde did it again I think the the previous defeat to Clyde was statistically Celtic's worst ever in terms of the number of places below them in the, the pyramid Clyde were when that result happened um, so if that were to happen again, it would be incredible. But I, I can't see it. Even if Celtic rest a few players, they should have the strength and depth to to go there and, and win quite comfortably. A final piece of news now, and that is that in the women's game, Glasgow Rangers have signed the first female professional Indian player. India's top scorer Bala Devi's groundbreaking move to Rangers can be inspirational for players everywhere, says manager Amy McDonald. But not the Amy McDonald that is all singing, all dancing. No, but um, because the company I work with, we have quite a lot of uh, Indian clients, so we did something on this uh, last week. And yeah, it was an interesting one because Rangers set up a partnership with uh, Bengaluru FC, I think it is, last September. And this move has has come about because of this. We should also say that one of the reasons um, this has happened now as well is that both Celtic and Rangers have gone uh, professional, so they're actually signing up an awful lot of uh, players at the moment, which could be quite significant for the the Scottish women's game. I mean, obviously, Glasgow City say, and uh, and Hibs have been the sort of two more dominant teams yeah. uh, in recent times. I mean, obviously, you would think if the the money behind the Celtic and Rangers and the fact that they're going professional and, and signing players now, uh, they would eventually overtake them. But uh, yeah, I mean, it could be very good for the the women's game in Scotland and also. Uh, Looking ahead to the the Champions League in, in years to come, that you know Celtic and Rangers, if they're putting this uh, significant funds behind it, should be in a good position to to qualify and challenge in that competition. Devi has joined on an eighteen month deal and is the first professional Indian female footballer. It's excellent. And just an, another point on women's football, I think it would be really good if the women's game could be under one umbrella. umbrella uh, cooperation with the SFA because it needs investment it needs more work and it needs more exposure because women's football it is good it's a good watch and I watch the WSL down in England it's a good watch but it's the only 
Scottish team that's qualifying for major tournaments at the moment. <laughs> yeah, so no, but that's I mean, yeah, I'm being serious right. there. Like exactly. that's something we should be proud of and and putting more uh, funds towards. Thank you, Kieran, for actually coming in. Uh, and thanks to Little Kicks for their theme tune. And thank you to JJ for being on the phone, as well as Stephen for speaking to us today. Thanks for dropping in, Charlie. Producer Charlie was back. Uh, you just can't get away. And thanks for you all listening to us. We'll see you next Tuesday. We promise. You've been listening to the Totally Scottish Football Show, a Muddy Knees Media production. For sales and advertising, please email sales at muddyneesmedia.com. Keep up to date with everything across our Totally Football Network at The Totally Show on Twitter. And make sure you check out our brand new website too, thetotallyfootballshow.com. Muddy Knees Media.